All right, well, sorry for getting today's episode out a bit late. Um, as you can imagine, things have been pretty crazy, pretty hectic uh, for me over here. Um, and I know they have for all of you as well. We are, however, all in this together. And uh, I think we're all just trying to take stock of what's unfolding in the world around us all across the globe. Uh, but here we are. It is Friday the 20th of March, 2020. And uh, I think perhaps best referenced as day five of shelter in place or lockdown or self-quarantine, whatever it is you want to call it. There's actually a lot that I feel I would like to say, or at least that I feel obligated to say about what's going on in the midst of this COVID-19 outbreak. But I think it's going to wait for a future episode. Um, it, it is pretty hard to, it, it is hard to comprehend. It, it still feels like a bad dream. And I, I guess the only thing that ever happened in our, in, in our lives, and I'm assuming most of you who are listening to this podcast might be obviously 9-11, but obviously these are such different sorts of things. But at least with respect to the surreal, disconnected feeling of what is going on, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I guess these are the two events in my life anyway that, that kind of give me pause to, to think that. Um, and it's it's a pretty sobering thing to realize that that at this point, there's at least some of you who, frighteningly enough, tragically enough, have already caught this virus. And I can only hope that you're all managing and doing well and that everybody you love and care about is likewise managing to push through all this. So uh, anyway, as I say, I think there's a lot more I'd like to say in a future episode, but um, for now, let's leave it at that because we do have a fantastic guest today. It's uh, Allison Kender. She is a manager at the Transportation Research Center, TRC, uh, just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Um, and it's a really interesting conversation, this, because Allison's focus, admittedly, as you're you're about to learn, is primarily on, well, decidedly not AV-specific systems. She really focuses more on the so-called passive systems. Um, but I'm going to let her give you her whole background and proper introduction. But, but, but the reason why this is such an interesting conversation is is because the ways in which this loops into the bigger picture of AVs more broadly, right? Because a lot of the things that I think have been previously not discussed really come into play. For instance, if you've got an AV pod car, say like a cruise origin, you know, people are sitting in different directions now. Maybe they maybe they don't even have seatbelts, rather like trains or, or cable cars today. Um, and so the question then becomes, how do you adequately prepare a car, how do you test its systems, and crucially, how do you ensure that the crash test dummies are actually properly configured or repurposed, as it were, to handle these entirely new sorts of classes of vehicles um, in which the the occupants are going to be sitting and interacting totally differently to anything we've got today. So anyway, lots to discuss there. Uh, Before getting started, please just a friendly reminder that if you do continue to enjoy this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on, well, whatever podcast platform you like. That's available everywhere. If you do listen 
to it on Apple Podcasts, please don't forget to leave me five stars and optimally a written review. Anyway, I think without anything else, why don't we dive in and get started? Episode 143, Allison Kender, Transportation Research Center, begins now. Hey, real quick, if you're a company in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, and if you're looking for an amazing new PR firm, then I'd like to introduce you to the good folks over at Scott Fosgard Communications. So you know how it is with most PR agencies, right? You spend a ton of money throwing it away every month. You kind of sit there with your fingers crossed, praying and wishing for something to happen, and then it usually doesn't. And even if it does happen, chances are, well, most agencies aren't singularly focused on the AV and mobility space. Well, that's what makes Scott and his team so genuinely, truly unique in the world. You see, Scott and his team have spent their entire careers developing the relationships needed to reach just that perfect target audience. For those of you in the AV and mobility space, they've, they've worked directly for the likes of GM, for Ford, for Chrysler, for their suppliers. In fact, if you think back a few episodes, um, you might remember I had a guest on the show, Alex Thibault. He was from a company called Vulog. Well, Vulog is one of their clients. They've also worked with the likes of Fortelix, Delphi Technologies, Lunawave, May Mobility, Phantom Auto. I could keep going and going, but you get the idea. Anyway, look, definitely be sure to check them out over at scottfosgard.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-F-O-S-G-A-R-D. Or better yet, why don't you just shoot me a note? You can reach me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, by email, and I'm more than happy to do a personal introduction for you. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's get started in three, two, one, and we're live. Allison, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so obviously, uh, yeah, we're as we were talking a minute ago, you know, crazy times for all of us for the world generally and just the other day i had heard that there were there, there was a suggestion actually i was going to podcast about this so i haven't even fully read on it yet but there was a suggestion to sort of relax regulations about uh for, for autonomous vehicle testing and deployment insofar as no longer requiring uh backup drivers and that sort of thing but before we even get into that though obviously given your role uh, with all things safety. I'd love to hear a bit about your background, kind of what you guys are up to, and I guess you've started a new consortium at Transportation Research Center. Yeah, so um, why don't I start with just a little bit about uh, TRC, uh, Transportation Research Center, and then I can talk a bit more about my background and and our new our new consortium. Yeah, that's perfect. So, so TRC is um, the most comprehensive independent vehicle test facility and proving grounds in the United States. Um, we're located in Northwest Ohio, and uh, our property is about forty five hundred acres of road courses and various test facilities. And we are known as kind of a one-stop shop for vehicle testing. So we provide research and development services as well as um, many, many different types of testing. So uh, compliance and certification testing, crashworthiness, crash avoidance, emissions, durability testing, and more. Um, I like to say anything that you would want to test with a vehicle, we probably do. 
Um, and then actually one of our one of our new facilities is called the Smart Center. And it is a state-of-the-art automated and connected vehicle test facility. So we're pretty excited about that as well. Um, so that's that's just a high-level background on TRC. And personally, I've been at TRC for about six years now. Um, and I've spent that whole time working in areas related to, to vehicle safety, um, specifically in biomechanics and crashworthiness, so more of that passive safety side of things. So focusing on if there is a crash, how do you make sure that the occupant is protected, um, as opposed to active safety, which is trying to prevent the crash. Uh, so I actually started in our crash test dummy lab, which was pretty cool. And um, I'm now a manager of research and engineering. Um, and then I kind of have a dual role. So I'm also uh, the consortium manager for the research consortium for crashworthiness in automated driving systems. Um, so that's just a little bit about me and about TRC. Um, I can give an overview of the consortium if that would help. Yeah, that would be great, actually. Please. Okay. So before I talk about how the consortium works, um, I want to start with a little bit about our kind of our motivation um, and why why we launched it in the first place. So I think when most people think about automated vehicles and automated driving systems, um, their first thought is probably about the automation technology itself. Um, and people probably aren't as used to thinking about um, passive safety and occupant safety and crashworthiness in the context of automated vehicles specifically. So, um, so a little bit of background there. So automated driving systems will likely prevent and mitigate many crashes, um, but I think it's really important to remember that there may still be crashes in the future, and especially in a mixed fleet. And these systems um, will likely enable new vehicle designs and seating layouts and a broader range of occupant positions and postures, some of which may fall outside of how we've typically designed vehicle safety systems in the past. So that's a really good point. So your suggestion is, for instance, that in some of the new vehicle designs we've seen, for example, Cruises Origin, these are basically pod cars. Um, your point being that some people can sit facing backwards or, or absolutely point is it's different to the usual orientation that we've been testing and preparing cars for. Absolutely. Yeah. Sitting backwards, sitting sideways or having seats that that actually yep, swivel. Really um, and then, or how about, how about tables, like airplane style and tables could get in the way insofar as if your body goes forward, the table could obviously be rather painful. Oh, absolutely. And even on a more basic level, even if you still have forward facing seats, just that people might fully recline their seats, um, which is possible in a vehicle now, but That's isn't done as often. That's a very good point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's not, yeah, it's not how true. vehicles are tested. So um, so the the bigger, you know, some of the bigger issues there are our current test devices. So 
crash test dummies and computer models that we use to test the safety of current vehicles. Um, they were designed to be used in forward-facing upright seats. And so the first step is to make sure those tools are, you know, can be used in these new scenarios and then test vehicles to these to these new configurations. Right. So you're effectively repurposing existing setups then to allow for, well, as you said, reclining positions or maybe a tray table in front of somebody sitting sideways, sitting backwards. Is that the idea? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's um, there's probably value in in both approaches. So a lot of the focus right now is just evaluating the current tools um, to see if they can be used in these new configurations or if they should be. And then the next step would be, you know, improving them um, or, or potentially making new tools as well. Right. Now, that makes sense. Because one of the things that I, I've read going back quite a few years now, actually, uh, is that from a passive safety point of view, insofar as the actual crash structure of the vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, that's effectively been maxed out in the last couple of years. There's only so much crash structure you can build into a car, so much super heavy duty reinforced steel, that kind of thing, right? So really at this point, it is all about the more active safety features, or as you say, the restraint features for different layouts, right? I mean, there's not there's only so much you can do to a, to a box on wheels insofar as physical crash structure worthiness, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's always more you can do. But certainly, I think, especially as we're talking about these potential challenges associated with with automated vehicles and alternative seating positions, I think restraints is a big focus. Um, from, from what I've seen at conferences, uh, there is a lot of focus on how do you make sure that the restraints can uh, you know, adapt to whatever the seating configuration is and kind of move with the occupant, if you will. And then um, to your point, the active safety piece is uh, is really important. And if you can prevent the crash in the first place, obviously that's huge. And, and also figuring out ways to integrate the passive and the active safety. So if you can prevent the crash, great. If you can't prevent the crash, can you use some of the information that you're getting? Sort of mitigate right? it, right? Well, to mitigate it, but also to, if, can you use some of that information that you're getting from those sensors to inform how the passive safety system then responds? Oh, yeah. No, I, I see what you mean. So might an example be something like the, uh, I remember, I think a year or two ago, Mercedes rolled out a feature which, in anticipation of a crash, the audio system will emit a certain, I think it's a pink noise rather than say, obviously a white noise uh, that effectively triggers some sort of reflex in the, in the ear to help reduce the potential for ear damage. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. That, I had never heard of that. But it's really cool. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, doing amazing things nowadays. It's uh, it's really cool. Yeah. And, and also, yeah. And Audi, for instance, they're, they, I think it's the new A8 sedan. Obviously it's got a, active suspension system, apparently, if it detects that there's going to be a side impact, say a T-bone in an intersection, it will actually do this thing where it sort of raises that side of the suspension quite high, effectively angling the car to sort of, I guess, deflect the passenger compartment a little bit away from a direct broadside impact. It's it's pretty wild when you think about it. Yeah, that's, that is so cool. And I've read, I've actually read a few papers as well that 
um, along those lines have suggested if you have swiveling seats, could you turn the seat so that the occupant is facing in the direction that they would be most safe? And then make everybody super dizzy in the process. <laughs> spin them around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably not good for emotion sickness. <laughs> well, I'd be remiss not to mention Tesla's safety record insofar as just physical body crash structure safety, right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you remember when they tested the, the roof crush test. My understanding is the actual roof crushing machine kind of exploded before the roof failed. I mean, talk about maxing out oh, wow. physical crash structure worthiness, right? Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, all those basics still matter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, okay, look, so let's talk then a bit more about these active systems insofar as ADAS and indeed AV generally. One of the things that I've been really concerned about, so actually, let me first say that I'm a huge fan of you know, the fact that we're essentially hands-off insofar as letting states and municipalities test and deploy as they like for the most part, and that there isn't yet an overarching um, federal sort of regulatory framework yet. My concern is that, well, to everything that you guys are doing, there needs to be a framework in place sooner rather than later. And I think just to give a somewhat cliched example of what I'm talking about, we're always hearing all these sort of back and forth kind of debate about LIDAR or camera vision. And my whole point has been, who cares? Let's just figure out which is sufficiently good and go from there. The point being, there are no standards for anything yet. And I'm a little concerned that no one's kind of working in that direction. So to what extent is this something that, that you know, TRC or the consortium you're heading in particular would play a role insofar as getting people moving in that direction of establishing some basic guidelines, some standards? Yeah. So I think, um, I totally agree. I think clear and consistent standards is really important. Um, and so for, for us at the consortium in particular, um, standards for the technology like LIDAR, um, that's a bit outside of our scope, but certainly, uh, you know, within the crashworthiness and passive safety side of things, um, coming to um, some agreement on, on standards moving forward is, is a huge priority for us. So at the consortium, we um, one of the reasons we've gone with this structure is to get kind of all of the stakeholders in the same room. So industry, government, academia, all able to communicate and collaborate. And we really think that bringing all those people together to figure out what the best way forward is, um, is the best way to get to a, to a solution here. And um, one, of the, one of the big goals for us is to ideally um, harmonize what tools, what test methods, and what tools are used um, to 
test the crashworthiness and the occupant protection of these vehicles moving forward. So um, standardization is is definitely a big priority for us. Yeah. And so to that end, just to sort of pick on some word choice you used, I mean, when you mentioned that things like LIDAR sort of beyond the scope, I mean, with respect to TRC, I mean, I, I do see that explicitly things like uh, automated driving systems and ADAS are indeed a field. So it seems to me that this is maybe currently beyond the scope, but certainly it's something you're going to have to be very much involved with in the, well, almost immediately in the coming years, right? Oh, yes. And I, and I um, yeah, let me clarify. So it's outside of the scope of this consortium that we're working on now, but certainly within the scope of what TRC is already doing. So there's a number of different groups at TRC. And so my background is much more in the passive safety side of things. Um, but we actually, we've got a group called um, Advanced Mobility, and this is their whole focus, is looking at ADAS and ADS and um, working with customers to uh, to develop test methods in you know in the absence of current standards right now and and make sure that those systems are are safe and um, working well out on the road so yeah so we it's certainly in the scope of what TRC is doing and obviously um, something we will continue to play a role in and, and be aware of moving forward mm-hmm. no that makes sense. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, you used the term, I think mixed use case or mixed roadway use, um, the, the idea of that eventually level four and indeed level five AVs will eventually be mixed with human driven cars. And I got to say that that sort of raises the question, uh, will that necessarily be the case? I mean, I've often argued, okay, I've kind of always argued perhaps a bit too frequently (laughs) that we actually shouldn't mix them. I mean, and the analogy that I've given is for instance, uh, well, I'll just say it again. I believe firmly that today, right now, well, obviously not now in the midst of this COVID outbreak, but in general, we could be easily putting, say, for instance, cruise origins on bus lanes in San Francisco right now today. You know, they're effectively separated to regular human-driven cars. Pedestrians, as a matter of course, tend not to like to walk in front of buses and trolley cars either. And I don't think they're going to start doing that for AVs in general. Um so is there not an argument to suggest that we don't need to worry too much after all, or at least we don't need to overcomplicate this idea of imagining mixed use when in fact the easiest deployment strategy is to actually keep them separate? Why mix AVs with human-driven cars at all? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that that's, that's a fair point. And, um, you know, certainly I, I could see the benefits in in keeping them separate. Um, I guess, so speaking about a mixed fleet, I even mean, um, you know, current vehicles out on the road today. So not even thinking about level four or five, but the lower level automated vehicles, um, there is still, um, you know, there are potential differences in how those vehicles um what types of crashes they might get into, as well as how occupants might be positioned in those vehicles. And therefore, uh, that is still um, something that we would look at in in our consortium. So I think for us, we're concerned about mixed fleet, you know, even with lower level automated vehicles. But yeah, I could could certainly see the benefit in in keeping them separate. And um, then you don't have the uh, mm-hmm. potential interactions to consider there. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to ask, whatever happened to 
external airbags on cars. <laughs> Did you ever hear about this? Uh, was this ever discussed? That I'm not. Uh, I'm not aware of. I mean, I don't know. I just for years. I think even ever since I was a kid, I used to wonder like, why don't cars just turn into like giant fluffy pillows if they sense an accident about to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, to me, I've, it seems pretty logical to me. <laughs> I've never, I've never even thought about that. I mean, there are like, um, I'm sure you've seen some of the active hoods, right? So assuming that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. You might hit a pedestrian, the hood kind of pops up to, uh, to yeah. help with the energy dissipation there. I, you know what it is? I, I think I know why they didn't develop these because then people will just be flying into the cars for fun on their bicycles just to go bouncing off a fluffy airbag. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> it's a policy issue. And it seems like it would be pretty expensive to that, you, uh, Yeah, that too. To that too. Yeah. Seriously. Huh. All right. So, okay, look, one of I have to just touch on this for a moment because uh, uh so my dad used to race back in the day. I've done some track days. I love I noticed that at TRC, sorry, this is kind of off point, but you guys have a performance driving school which I'm a huge huge fan of, a huge believer of and one of the critiques I've had and this obviously I think at least um, at least tangentially ties into the issue of, well, crash safety generally. I think that here in the U.S. we have this really severe problem. Um, it's just too easy to get your license. And when I say easy, I don't just mean from a cost and examination point of view, but I mean like we don't actually have real drivers training at all. Okay, sure, we teach like these are the rules of the road, but nobody learns actual car control. And this just kind of blows my mind because 16-year-old kid can go – sit in a 500 horsepower car and you know, they're not going to know how to drive the thing. So the fact that you guys offer performance driving schools, I'm a huge fan of this. Um, have you done this? What are your thoughts on this? Do you agree this should be more, I don't know, encouraged, maybe lower insurance rates and so on. What do you think? Oh, that's a great question. And um, I personally haven't done anything with our performance driving school, but it's a huge point of pride for TRC. We um, we do a lot of driver's training classes through that. Um, that's actually, I would say, one of our consistently busiest uh, business units at TRC. And we've got some people who are just really, really talented at what they do. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely a point of pride for us. And I think, um, I think you're right, like, uh, more um, comprehensive driver's training certainly could not be a couldn't be a bad thing. Um, we we do uh, like kids drive very young, uh, with not a lot of uh, in depth training. So um, I think more driver's training could could certainly be useful and and potentially help people to understand the uh, the responsibility, too, of driving, um, because I think that... You took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if, if it doesn't seem like a big deal, um, then, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to text and drive or, or whatever it may be. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So the other day I had a cool... I say cool. I had an amazing conversation with Jason Levine from the Center of Auto Safety in D.C. Um, I had previously had the chance to meet with him about a year ago um, in his offices, and then we got to do the podcast together. It was awesome. And one of the things I suggested to him was I actually think that texting and driving should be effectively a DUI. I mean, can you give me one compelling argument for why it should not be? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, you're you're out of control of the vehicle, I mean, right? You you're effectively under the influence, right? I, I just I think it's such a ridiculously obvious thing, and I think it's 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 absurd that it's just a slap on the wrist kind of thing. Maybe a fine, right? I don't even think it. I don't think it rises to more than a fine, does it? I think that's all it is in most states. But um, yeah, I mean, it goes to your whole point about responsibility, right? And you know, one of the jokes is that in Germany, for instance, cars didn't have, or maybe still don't even have cup holders because even Having a Starbucks triple macchiato thing with cream and foam and blah, 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 that's a distraction while you're driving. And to the point of responsibility, you just you can't have that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, again, is maybe as we move towards automated vehicles and there's less of that responsibility for operating the vehicle once we do get to the level four or five stage, um, then we can start to see some uh, some cool vehicle design changes. Yeah, totally. So, okay, let's move in that direction. Then, after all, this is a AV podcast first and foremost. So, where, where do you where do you see? Hmm, look, there's been a lot of discussion that obviously all the forecasts, all the timelines for AV deployment have sadly been well a bit overly optimistic, shall we say? <laughs> um, which, by the way, as an aside to the point I made earlier, you know, I think if it would just stop caring so much about level five first and focusing just on level four and designated roads, as I've said numerous times in the past, we'd effectively have sort of virtual trains is what they would be, let's face it. Um, and I just feel like that would help fast track things. I mean, what are your thoughts insofar as what, what would you like to see? What are your hopes, your expectations? What would you like to see? What do you think municipalities should do to help further things in this direction faster rather than seemingly perpetually delaying things for this 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 sort of a pipe dream of level five, which it's going to be a while. Yeah. And so I, um, I'm not sure of exactly the right answer there. And, and again, I think my, uh, my specific expertise is kind of, uh, limiting me here in, in being able to tell you what I think municipalities could, could really do to fast track, um, automated vehicles. I think from from my perspective and the way that um, we've been approaching this uh, in at the consortium is, you know, so if you think about automated vehicles, and even if you're talking, yeah, not level five, but level four, or even level three, um, we need to, no matter what the timeline is, even if there are ways out, we need to make sure that we have the foundational research in place now or sooner rather than later so that we're ready when they do hit the roads. And so, um, again, uh, just to touch back on our goals, that's what that's what our goal really is, is we are focused on generating a common body of research that can be used to develop safety validation methods and tools for assessing the crashworthiness of automated vehicles. And that 
foundational body of research takes time to develop. Um, so our focus is you really have to start now, even if you think, um, you know, highly or fully automated vehicles are, are a ways down the road. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. That makes sense. And actually, you just said a thing that re- reminded me, you mentioned tools and qualifications and that sort of thing. And incidentally, exactly the previous episode I just did was with um, a guy in Germany, Oscar Slotos. He is a founder and CEO of a company called Validas. They do tool qualifications uh, and standardizations for the automotive industry, actually. It might be a cool intro for the two of you. I'd be happy to make. Um yeah. So, okay. This is, this is all pretty fascinating stuff. I mean, look, obviously it, it is the sort of ironic truth that in the future, <laughs> in the rather distant future, um, it's true. Obviously, if you have sufficiently good uh, AV systems, then crash, crashes will effectively be reduced, at least mathematically speaking, almost to zero optimally. Um, but you're right. There's always going to be a need to ensure still that the vehicle is properly designed. Um and I think part of the problem too comes with how people are interacting with the vehicles themselves, right? So one of the things that blew my mind is you can have the safest car in the world, uh, both in terms of crash structure, passive, active safety, seatbelts, et cetera, but people will still obviously still be people and circumvent these. I actually saw people in brand new BMW 7 Series uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, for instance, when I had a chance to visit. Uh, Uber drivers, actually, <laughs> in brand new 7 Series with the seatbelt totally uh, bypassed. The clip ah. from the belt had been severed and placed inside the buckle just to turn off the beeping. Oh, no. I hate to, you know, see. I hate to just, see that. Yeah. Well, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I know. It, it's awful. Like It like melted my brain. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and I just kept asking, like, why? Like, why? These are like, you know, these are like young people driving. They're not like from a different generation. They're, they're, they're young, smart, educated people. And I, I finally put two and two together, though. It had to do perhaps with the fact that back in the day, seatbelts were perceived as dangerous because you might get trapped in the car. And because everybody knew somebody to whom that had happened, then the conclusion was, therefore, seatbelts are dangerous. It, it just, it really hurts the brain, <laughs> you know? Um, so... The, the point is, obviously, we can't account for all things, but to the safest extent we can make a vehicle, then that's obviously a very admirable goal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And necessary one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't, yeah. like you said, you can't control what people are going to do, but we can at least uh, design safety systems to the best of our abilities. And, and you know, some of the, some of the concepts that I've seen out there are, um especially for automated vehicles where the seats might, you know, might be more rotatable and movable. Um, you know, I've seen some concepts out there for essentially airbags that will almost surround you in your seat. So at least some of this we can, we can engineer. Oh, geez. Now we're back to um, the big fluffy pillow idea again. Right. Just inside the car. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. Well, speaking of which, yeah. I mean, so what, what are, what are some of the coolest things that you have seen? I mean, what, what are some of the things that make you most excited insofar as, wow, this is just super cool. This needs to, this needs to be produced now, or is that one of the better examples? <laughs> well, so, 
I would say that's, you know, that's a pretty cool example. I think that um, I, a lot of what I, I'm more on the research side of things. So I don't so much see um, as many as the concepts that, uh, that companies are working on right now, but, you know, at conferences you do, you do get kind of a preview of some things. And so I think some of the most exciting things are being able to, and, and probably the most promising things are being able to integrate your, your restraints, whether that be seatbelts and airbags into the seat so that they're at least going with the occupant wherever the occupant might go. Um, and then again, trying to connect the passive and, and active safety, I think, is is really Im- important as well. So um, I think I actually think I've I've talked to a few people about this, and I think in some ways uh, this move to automated vehicles and all the questions it's brought up for people about um, passive safety is a great way to to push passive safety forward um, really quickly and kind of a, an innovative way. So I think it's really exciting right now. Yeah, totally. And actually your, your comment about integrating tech, I mean, I think it was Ford and or, or I don't know, uh, both concurrently uh, Mercedes maybe who had developed, or Volvo, I suppose, uh, who had developed in seatbelt airbags. So like the actual seatbelt had a little airbag in it, right? So the idea being, I guess, that you wouldn't get massive bruising and injuries from the belt itself because we like fluffy pillows and it works. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So one of the things I was, I, that I remember was from school days where, you know, being in LA, the, the car epicenter of the universe, uh, a lot of kids at school would uh, install four point racing harnesses. And the problem with those of course was, well, they seem intuitively smart, not to mention, okay, maybe cool until you realize that if the car flips over, well, if you have a four point harness and you don't have a roll bar or a roll cage, you become the roll bar. So then you think, okay, well then let me install a roll bar. Well, the problem with that then is if you're not wearing a helmet, your head hits the roll bar and turns into scrambled eggs. So it's just, it's, it's a pretty um, cynically funny, sad truth that a lot of things that seem intuitively safe can actually be critically dangerous Hence the need to ensure this is all done correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of the safety systems that go into any vehicle, whether it's a passenger vehicle or a a race car, um, you know, they're all designed to work together. And so you you can't just kind of pick and choose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, Allison. Look, with respect to your time, we should probably call it a wrap. Um, look, this is super great what you guys are doing. Uh, I didn't previously even know about your organization until now. I think it's awesome, the consortium you've built, obviously, to the extent that we can chat further or help in any way. Please be sure to let me know. But thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And yep, I love. I would love to chat further in the future. And the only other thing I'll say is, obviously, I have been much more focused on on the passive safety side of things, but we have a ton of experts at TRC who are, um, you know, leading the research for uh, ADAS and automated driving systems. So if you'd ever be interested in talking to one of them, I'd be happy to introduce you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, duly noted. Thanks very much. Awesome. Well, keep safe and sound in the midst of this uh, crazy times and uh, we'll talk soon. Great. Thank you so much. You as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, well, that's a wrap for today, and indeed this week. I certainly hope to get Tuesday's episode out the door. Obviously, I missed this past Tuesday uh, just due to everything going on, but we do have another fantastic guest, so hopefully you'll check back, or better yet, just please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen to it. Um, 
Other than that, look, it is Friday, so please do your best to enjoy the Friday evening. Remember and recognize that we're all in this together. I mean, literally all 7 billion plus people around the world, all walks of life, all age groups, all cultures, all languages, all philosophies, all religions. We're all in this together. Nobody's alone. And um, all I can say is try to relax a little bit. Don't be consumed by fear and, you know, get outside, get some fresh air if you can in a park somewhere away from other people. And otherwise, yeah, please respect and honor your civic duty, your responsibility not to be around other people because only together, working together, coming together like this, I say coming together by staying as far away from one another as possible. Can we possibly have a chance at, you know, squashing this virus before it takes over 60, 70% of the globe, at which point it will reach herd immunity status. But um, that's not something we want to wait for. Right. Uh, Yeah. So look, enjoy your Friday evening. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Otherwise, I'll see you back here on Tuesday. Bye-bye.